The following program is a presentation of Grand Slam Ministries. Hi again, everybody, and welcome to episode 26 of the Dan Scott Show. I am Dan. As always, we are presented by our nonprofit organization, Grand Slam Ministries. I hope and pray that you have had a great week. Welcome to those of you listening on all 13 of our show affiliates, and thank you for tuning in. Thank you to each of our affiliates for carrying this radio show. And, you know, math was never my strong suit. I was okay in school until they put the alphabet in math, and then I was done. But 26 is half of 52, right? And there are 52 weeks in a year. So today marks the exact halfway point of the first year of this show. And as I think back to where we were when we began on two stations, to where we are now on 13 affiliates total, what God has done is something only he could orchestrate. And I praise him and thank him for doing that and just looking forward to what the second half of this first year is going to bring. As you are listening to this today, Angela and I are wrapping up a two-week vacation, something that we've been looking forward to for a long time and a trip we tried to take last year, but she had some medical issues that did not allow us to do it. But it's a trip that involves San Diego and the Grand Canyon and working our way back, seeing a baseball game in Cincinnati, spending some time along historic Route 66. Just a great time for the two of us to get away and enjoy each other's company and see some of this great country that God has provided us. So because of that, we're doing something today that we have not done in any of the previous 25 weeks, and that's repeating a previous interview. But it's an important one because Don Harper is one of my mentors. And his interview that we originally did back in February has been one of the best received interviews that we've done on this show. So you're going to hear that again today. And we'll tell you more about it when we come back. But first, I want you to hear this about Grand Slam Ministries. Grand Slam Ministries exists to glorify Jesus Christ in multiple ways through this radio show and its accompanying online, digital, and video components through our sister websites, danscottshow.org and grandslamministries.org and through furthering our core missions, mentorship, and providing food and other necessities to children. None of this is possible without your prayers and support. By making a gift to Grand Slam Ministries today, you'll not only help this program remain on this radio station, you'll help us grow our family of stations, allowing us to bring stories of God working in the lives of men and women everywhere to a larger audience. And at the same time, your gift will help us in the initial launch of those core mission programs. Grand Slam Ministries is in its infancy. We need your support. Will you help us today? Visit our website at grandslamministries.org and prayerfully consider a one-time or monthly gift today. Above and beyond anything else, please pray for our ministry. Thank you and God bless. Like what you hear? Have a question or comment? Maybe a guest suggestion? Drop us an email and let us know. Dan at danscottshow.org And now, back to the Dan Scott Show, presented by Grand Slam Ministries. Episode 26 of the Dan Scott Show. Can you believe we are in the month of July already? 2023 is flying by, and I don't know if you're like me or not, but it seems as if when you get older, that clock seems to speed up. Maybe two seconds for every one. At least that's how it seems. 
anyway, we're happy to have you with us. If you missed any of our recent episodes or any episodes at all, you can always get them by going to danscoutshow.org to the Affiliates and Archives page. Access them there or wherever you get your podcast, Just search for the Dan Scott Show podcast and you will find them there. The, the last two weeks, the interview with Doug Flynn a couple of weeks back, we'll remember the big red machine and, and his story. And then last week, Neil Getzlow, the the Jewish atheist uh, pornography addict and, and the radical change God made in his life. These are the stories that we are telling on the show, and that's why that I'm doing this. So check those out if you can, danscottshow.org, Affiliates and Archives page, or the Dan Scott Show podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Back in February, we originally aired this interview with a gentleman by the name of Don Harper. I go to church with Don at Utica Baptist in Seneca, South Carolina. He is one of three men that God put in my life when I became a Christian back on June 10th of 2012. And uh, he has become probably my chief mentor outside of my dad, uh, mostly because we share the the same Sunday school class and have for just over a decade. But uh, Don's life has been one that has seen him uh, be born and raised in the segregated South. He uh, rose through those ranks to join the military, become a, a uh, very successful HR manager in the corporate world, and uh, has written a book called Blessed is the Man about lessons he learned from his dad. And what a story that is. You're going to hear that as we go along. But one of the core uh, missions of Grand Slam Ministries is mentorship. And that's where we began this conversation with Don Harper, because above and beyond anything else, I think that his God-given gift is being a mentor, not just to me, but to many other people. Yeah, it's just been a, it's been a, a just kind of really a part of my life. Um, there have always been men, uh, you, you know, that in my Goodyear career, we moved six times and in every community that I moved to, God always uh, placed uh, men in my life, uh, either my pastors or other men in the church to come alongside me. My, my dad died uh, the year I graduated from high school. And, um, and, and in every one of these places that we live, God always placed strong men in my life to, um, to be mentors for me. It was never anything official. It was just something that, um, uh, that they, that uh, God provided, and um, and like you, Dan, uh, I always uh, try to to um, find men like that. Um, uh, but the problem you said in your opening that you don't think it's as uh, strong today as it is in the past. Some of that is because um, younger men are not seeking it out. Uh, you, you sought it out. You still seek it out. I sought it out when I when I realized that there were men that uh, had something that I needed. That's, that's the problem that I, that I see in society today, that, that the, the, the younger men, the younger kids, they, they believe they have all the knowledge that they need, either on their phones or whatever, that they don't, they don't come up and ask someone, um, can you share a little bit about, I hear you were a, a captain in the army, or I, I hear that you were a vice president, or I hear that you um, I do broadcasting for uh, for Furman. Can you can you tell me about that? that I, I, I could count on on one hand how often that happens, and um, and we need to find some way to encourage younger people to do more of that because not only do they need to hear what that person says, but that older person needs to get a chance uh, needs to get a chance to share that um, with others. And and I go back to my friend Lloyd Pruitt. When you did his interview, um, I, I can I can still see Lloyd just almost almost glowing to answer the questions that you asked him because chances are he's ninety something years old and eighty five years old and probably no one had ever asked him those kind of questions and we need to be doing that as as um, as we go forward. So that that that's why mentoring is so important to me. I've just been a part of it because I've been blessed by it, and then I always try to make myself available to initiate conversation with younger men and other people. Do you remember the first person who kind of stepped into the vacuum after your dad passed away? Well, it was probably my older brother, uh, Lloyd Jr. Um, Lloyd Jr. was, um, 
and I talk about him in the book, how much of an influence he was on my life. And uh, so I think Lloyd Jr. probably did that uh, faster than anyone else since he was right there in Birmingham and and uh, just, a, just a few miles away. And I was still there in Marion um, uh, during, during the time between my, my dad's death and then the crop, crop area. And then I always found um, ways to communicate with him no matter where I was, no matter where I lived. Uh, Lo- uh, Lloyd and I always had great conversations. And um, so he was probably my first official mentor. And uh, he probably couldn't have even spelled it, to tell you the truth, mm-hmm. because uh, the Lloyd was just a great guy. What, what about someone from outside your family? Someone from outside of my family probably uh, ended up being in the, in the work environment. Uh, people very quickly um, picked up on it. Uh, the guy that uh, is probably more responsible for my Goodyear career was a guy by the name of George Lomas. And uh, and picked up um, that, that I had some some skills that he wanted to use in, in other other plants and other areas and and uh, probably mentored me um, mentored me initially from, from the very beginning. Don Harper is our guest on this week's edition of the show. Um, like most of us who had a strong father figure, we, we hold our dad in, in high esteem, and I'm fortunate to still have mine, and he's still pastoring and preaching. You said you lost yours at age 18, but it's obvious that, that you still hold your dad in, in, in such high esteem all these years later. Yeah, I, the, the name of the book is Blessed is the Man. Um, um, the Psalm 1, 1 through 3 is, is, the, um, is the primary reason for that title because it talks it describes the blessed man um and talked about talks about him meditating on his law day and night and and then god says because of that the man's character that uh, he will be like a tree planted by rivers of water and whatever he doeth would prosper that's my dad so when when i when i read that scripture i tell people i'm sure they don't believe it but but his face comes to come to mind when i start reading that scripture so so, so, so dad was that kind of a person and, uh, and I didn't realize how, how great he was, how great of a hero he was until later on. That's why I, I didn't start writing the book until I was 64 years old, uh, is because, um, uh, growing up as a farmer's son, didn't think that was a glamorous, um, uh, history and whatever, and uh, found out later on that, uh, that, that was exactly where God wanted me to be and, and taught me so many great values by watching him and and knowing that that scripture actually um, uh, described his life in in, 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 in his fullest. The, the story of how your dad got possession of that farm is an incredible one. Here we have a black man in the segregated South in the 1950s going to a white banker asking for a loan for a farm. That's just something that did not happen then. You know. You're absolutely right. And in fact, Dan, it was it, it was the early '40s. Early '40s, okay. Which, which makes it even even more dramatic. Um, very few uh, African Americans own land during this time, um, and because the, um, the 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 Caucasian uh, owners of farms uh, wanted to have uh, cheap labor, so uh, so they uh, ended up with share sharecropping. Uh, they would they would have. Um, a, a typical uh, Caucasian farmer would have hundreds of acres of land and probably had a, a cotton allotment of maybe 50 acres. Well, obviously he didn't have uh, the expensive equipment that they have today to pick the cotton, so he needed people. So the typical farmer would would um, would, would build little shanty houses, maybe two or three of them on this hundred acre land, and and he would invite uh, African American families to come live in those houses and for uh, for for uh, he said rent free, but but probably ended up charging them uh, exorbitant amounts, and um, and these folks would pick ten and twelve and 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 um, and work ten and twelve and fifteen acres of cotton, and and probably generate fifteen twenty bales of cotton, and then the Caucasian farmer at the end of the year would go in because he's keeping the books. <laughs> he's the one keeping the books right. about about what what he makes and what you buy, and then the perfect storm was when he had a store because the African-American didn't have a car. He couldn't get to town. So 
very convenient. You can come to my store and you can get your fat back and your and your black eyed peas and your cheese and your and your stuff and and I'll keep the books. <laughs> and at Christmas time we'll settle up. Well, most of the time the settling up was um, the the, uh, the farmer and the African American family would end up uh, breaking even. So you never generated enough profits in order to get out of that situation. So. So dad and them wanted to make sure that we, as their children, 13 of us, didn't grow up in that kind of an environment. Give us a chance to um, to be successful. So uh, how you got the vision, Dan, I have no idea, but to, to walk into a bank in the 1940s, 1939 probably started, and and to uh, seek a loan, and, and dad had no collateral. I try to tell the story because nobody has an answer. I don't have an answer. I have no idea how you can walk into a bank and with no collateral, no full-time job, uh, no way to make a monthly payment and whatever, and find a person on the other side of the desk that's willing to take a risk on you. In the segregated South, when, when, that, when, that, when that man had, had no uh, um, uh, pressure from any government, no, no EEOC, no, no uh, um, any kind of a, a, a mandate for him to do anything indifferent, it's just the goodness of his heart, and found out later through his daughter he was also a Psalm 1 man. And so God took two Psalm 1 men in a culture that um, said that they shouldn't get together to do something phenomenal. God put them together and they did. And um, and and because of that 80-acre acquisition that dad had, none of us had to grow up in an environment where we were sharecroppers. Uh, my dad was an entrepreneur of that land. And and um, and until we went out of that, that 80 acres, uh, did we leave that safe haven, dad, dad, and mom provided a safe haven for us, even in that segregated situation. Uh, but also the banker's decision um, uh, leveled the playing field and, and changed the trajectory for our family because it provided a, an environment where we could be successful. What else were you able to find out about that banker? Because I know you did some research and, and talked to some people. What kind of man was he? Well, when I, when I finally got it, to find out about his, his daughter, he has one daughter. Her name is Geneva Blackbird, and she is still living. She's 87 years old, lives in an, a suburb of Birmingham. And when I called her to tell her what I was thinking about doing, and I wanted to include uh, her dad in the book, she was um, she was just absolutely so elated. Uh, in fact, we had lots of great prayer, cried on the phone, because she, when I started telling her about how uh, much of a blessing that uh, decision by her dad and what it meant to our family, uh, she didn't know about it because he was not a man that came home and bragged about stuff that he did. Uh, but I also found out, Dan, that uh, not only my dad, when I, when, I, when I think about other African-Americans that I went to high school with, and I can name them all, if I, I know of at least five, it might be, it might be more than that. But, but I can tell you there are five other families, like the Harper family, that benefited from Mr. Blackburn making the loan, but he was smart enough as a banker he diversified his decision. So just like dad was a cotton farmer, there was a African-American uh, dairy farmer. Uh, there was an Af African-American cattle farmer. And then uh, there were other people that he, and I knew him by name. So, so I put th those things together and found out that this man was, was uh, um, really, really someone in banking uh, found another stream of revenue. Uh, there was a stream of revenue that was not being utilized. Now, now, Still, the environment is segregated. There's all kind of racial tension in the environment. But for some reason, through his heart, he decided that he was going to. And he was not the, the chairman of the board at the bank. He was not the president. He was just someone that worked in the bank. And he had to go in and convince others that this was a good venture. So so we found that this man is uh, was before his time, was, was revolutionary, a change agent, um, a, a power one. And one of the people that he was... I don't want to use the word befriended because there was no way for these folks to ever do anything together uh, because of the segregated South. They couldn't play golf. They didn't, they didn't go to church together. But a guy by the name of Obi Scott, who happens to be the uh, father of, of Coretta Scott, who married Dr. Martin Luther King mm -hmm. uh, right up the road from us. And he invited um, uh, uh, Jeff Blackburn to come to the wedding in 1953. And the man went. It had to be the only probably Caucasian at the wedding, um, but he cared enough about his friend, uh, Obi Scott, that he went to the wedding of, of uh, Coretta Scott and uh, Martin Luther King back in 1953. So this man was just totally uh, 
before his time, a significant contributor. Uh, and as a result of that, I just like this, the song says that whatever he does will prosper. This man ended up being the president of, of this, this bank. And, and, and Dan, I don't know about you, but since we've been to um, Seneca, uh, the bank that we chose to start with in 2007 has had four names. This bank still has, it's still a single entity bank. From 1932, it's still a single entity bank right now, today in Marion. And the only thing they've done is to expand. They've, they've, they've opened up other locations, but it still has the same name. So I think God is still blessing not only the bank, but he's blessing Geneva and others as a, as a part of that. So this 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 man is just, uh, when I tell a story, I can't tell a story about my dad without telling a story about Jeff Blackburn. And it, it seems to me that besides having the right kind of heart to, to make a decision like this, he also was a very astute businessman because he had to know that someone like your dad and the other African-Americans who he made these loans to were going to work probably harder than the other farmers in in the area simply yes. because they were being given a chance that they weren't given somewhere else. Right. right. Well, well, Dan, I know you know that, uh, that what makes this story about my dad and just what you just said about the banker even more dynamic is these 80 acres of land were prime farmland. And they sat between a Caucasian dairy farmer to the right and a Caucasian cattle farmer to the left. And both of those guys wanted that 80 acres to annex their, their property. They had all of the all of the assets that the banker would want check, checked off. And and this man chose to, to uh, loan the money to my dad to buy those 80 acres when both of these guys wanted the land. So, so not only did this guy uh, level the playing field, he absolutely uh, did some things that I'm sure he got a lot of verbal abuse. Mm-hmm. I, I know that one of the farmers, I said, I know uh, rumor was that one of the farmers took his money out of the bank and they actually started another, another bank in Marion that didn't last very long, but he got angry enough that he, he, um, he took his money out of the bank. Um, I think the cow farmer is passed away. The, the, um, uh, the dairy farmer has, has uh, passed away. The cow farm is still living. Uh, we went down there. I wanted to show my uh, daughter-in-law um, where uh, we lived. And this guy is 93 years old and he's still there. And the day we went by to visit, he, he stopped at the farm and um, was inquisitive of uh, who we were. So we had a we had a magnificent conversation uh, there right on right on that land here just just last year that, that God just gives you a, 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 a chance every once in a while to go back and to deal with him. And if you ask me, I see you smiling. I treated him with dignity and respect. I still call him Mr. Weaver because that's just the way I grew up calling mm-hmm. him Mr. Weaver. And uh, come to find out he was probably only in his 30s at the time when we were living there, but Mr. Weaver is still living. That's incredible. It, it really is. We're visiting with Don Harper on this week's edition of the Dan Scott Show. Um, you, you get back down that way occasionally don't mm-hmm. you i mean i since since you and i've known each other you, you've made a handful of trips down there and and even a, a, a gentleman that we go to church with named emerson shipe wanted wanted to take a trip down there just to see that area and, and kind of as much as possible experience a little bit of, of what you grew up in yeah you you see me smiling because i'm looking at a picture of emerson right now because uh they took a picture of us standing on that property. And uh, so every day I look at that when I'm sitting in my, in my desk, it reminds me to pray for Emerson and his wife and, and his daughter and their, their children. But uh, Emerson was, was uh, so inquisitive uh, about the, uh, the book. And, and, uh, and, and he asked me, he said, when are you going back down there again? I mean, this is, this is like January or something in a year. And uh, I usually go back every other year. Um, the little, little church that we, that I grew up in is still there. Jerry and I, Jerry's been going there for over 50 years. We thought the place would be closed down, uh, 25 or 30 years ago, but God keeps that, that plant, that, 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 that church working and functioning. And, and now in the last 50 years, uh, they have added a, a, a cemetery there. So I go back Dan because my mom and dad, two brothers and an uncle is buried in the little cemetery right outside of that, that church. So mm-hmm. we go down, uh, cause there's nobody else. My other three sisters are still living in California. 
So we go down and, and, and make sure the graves are cleaned off and Jerry will take some beautiful flowers. She likes to put a bonnet on my mom's grave because mom loved to wear those beautiful hats. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, and we'll go down. But Emerson decided that they wanted to go down there with us. And when he first started asking me about it, I just thought that Emerson was being kind and uh, kind of put him off or whatever. And, uh, and about two months later, he said, when are you going? And, and I told him about some dates because I was going down to speak at the, um, at the um, homecoming, usually the third week in October. And uh, so about June, uh, um, he said again, the Don, when are those dates? And I said, this man is serious about going down there. So I did. I gave him the dates. And believe it or not, he and, and Pam drove down to Marion, Alabama and spent uh, three days. We stayed in a hotel over in, in, in Marion. And, uh, and and Emerson Emerson pushed me to do things that I had not done before in Marion. And only you would understand this. Um, uh, yeah, Marion has two colleges. has a uh, Marion Military Institute that ends up being the kind of the prep school for all of the military academies. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, I wasn't eligible to go there when I was growing up. And then there's a Judson College that was there, just closed last year, for women. And uh, none of my sisters were able to go there when, when they when they grew up and didn't even consider it. Um, so, so Emerson wanted to see places. Him and Pam wanted to see historic sites around Miriam. And he talked about going to Judson. Uh, Dan, I had never been down that street. And, and I, the reason I had never been down that street is because an African-American didn't need to be going down that street because if you got accused of, of making some advances to one of those young girls going to Judson, uh, you might not be alive today. So I, I didn't even, I didn't even know how to get get to Justin College. I had to, I had to actually use my GPS to find, find that. Um, they wanted to see the, uh, the, the Pettus Bridge in Selma. And uh, we walked across with Emerson and Pam, the uh, Pettus Bridge in Selma, went to the Civil Rights Museum in Selma. I had never gone. Now, my mom walked across the Pettus Bridge. I think she walked with uh, Dr. King once uh, after I left home in 64. But Emerson them really kind of pushed me to learn things about Marion that I had just kind of ignored because when I went home for visits, I just spent time with mom and we went to the church, but I had never done anything. So so he pushed me to learn some things about Marion. Um, and then I pushed him a little bit because he went to church with us on Sunday. Uh, they, 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 along with another good friend that lived in Marion with a minority in our little African-American church there and and um, and then we had, you know, when we have like a special day at our churches, we end up bringing uh, picnic baskets and, and going back in the kitchen area and eating. And uh, we, we pushed Emerson to eat a few collard greens that day. So, so <laughs> he, 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 he got his he got his boundaries pushed. But I got to tell you that that was an amazing experience to experience that with Emerson and Pam. And I, I'll tell anybody, I mean, I've never been to West Virginia with you. Even though all of you and I share prayers and stuff about your mom and dad, but mm-hmm. but for a man and a woman as busy as they are to make four days available to go spend time with us in Marion was pretty fantastic. That's why Emerson is on that wall right there, right ahead of me here. That I try to pray for him and Pam and his and his and his daughter and his kids every day. I got a sneaking suspicion he also found out that uh, church down there didn't have a specific start and stop time. Amen. <laughs> Hey, man, you, nobody's going to be looking at that watch in that environment, buddy. I'm telling you, no, sir. That's right. We had a, we, but we had a great day. I mean, it was really one of the special days in, in my life for Emerson and Pam to be able to experience that with us uh, over that weekend. Visiting with Don Harper on, on this week's edition of the show. What's the overriding message, um, influence that your dad had on you? Because you only had him for 18 years. But it's obviously it's obvious that he made a tremendous impact on you. Is, is there one thing that stands out above everything else? Well, his character. Um, Dan, I can I can go home today. My dad died in 1964. I, I believe that's uh, let me see 36. That's 58 years ago. If you and I drove to Marion, Alabama today and spent three days there, two days there, someone's going to walk up to me and say, are, are you Lloyd Harper's son? Now, he doesn't know whether I'm the oldest son or the middle son, but facially or whatever it is, he knows that, that, that I'm a Harper. And, and when he finds out that I'm a Harper, he's going to tell me a story 
something specific about my dad. And sometimes, Dan, I'll look at them like I'm looking at you. I'll say, Dan, you're not that old. How do you know that story? He'll say, or she will say, my grandmother told me, or my grandfather told me a story about your dad. This person still tells. So, so a legacy, a legacy of life is so critical that that uh, they talk about the character of the man. First of all, they they put him on a high pedestal because he was able to buy this land. I mean, uh, because a lot of uh, there was not a lot of African Americans that owned land, but his character was something that uh, uh, that people care about. So so just his character, his legacy, his good name, as the scripture says, a good name is rather to be desired than great riches. That was my dad. And then and then the other thing. Um, uh, Dan, the reason why I wanted to write the book, I, f I found myself and uh, being a facilitator uh, talking about leaders in Goodyear, and I was using dad as an example. Uh, third grade education. Um, why in the world can I be giving uh, these guys uh, lessons and talking about my dad and how he would he would use resources and how he would uh, make sure he he got in touch with the right people to help him to come in to talk about rotating crops so he, he knew how to use resources. Um, so, so the man was a, a brilliant leader, uh, had a great um, character uh, about himself, had a great reputation and a great legacy. And I only had 18 years of him, and uh, and I'm still learning things about him, and, and I'm continuing to be able to tell the story about him. So, to answer your question, is his character, that the legacy he left, and the fact of it that people are still talking about him, and what he meant to, to their family 56 years after his death, and that's 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 unheard of in this day and time. Did growing up in, in that environment, even though you, you had the unusual circumstance of, of, of him owning his own farm, you were still in the segregated South, did growing up in that environment prepare you for what you would face when you got into the military, when you got into the workforce, when it came to being an African-American going into a predominantly white workforce? What, what was that what was that like? How did the way you grow up prepare you for what you would face as you got on into your life? Well, uh, one of the stories in the book, um, he, he taught us about how to deal with with rough situations, uh, uh, many situations in the, in, the, in the book. But one of them was when he was he was stopped by not a police officer, but just another citizen, Caucasian, that thought dad had done something wrong in driving. And he just came up, he, he asked my dad to stop the car and he came up to the window on my dad's side and just verbally abused him. Uh, I was only about eight years old. We, we, were, we, were, we were driving, selling vegetables. So, 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 so my dad um, um, is, is selling vegetables and his client base is probably 60, 70% Caucasian, 40% African-Americans. But if we drive up to a person's house, knock on the door and ask them, do you want to buy corn or peas or beans? And that guy um, came up and thought dad had cut him off or something. And I saw my dad take about five minutes of, of abuse. He never took his eyes off the road. He kept both hands on the wheel and let that guy stand at his window and yell all kind of obscenities and whatever, because dad's objective was to sell his vegetables and to get us home safely. So I use that for the rest of my life. I've taught both of my kids the same thing. If you're stopped, especially by an officer or whatever, you, you never put that person in any kind of jeopardy of thinking that their life is in danger. So I use that to, as an example, both hands on the wheel and, uh, and, and never uh, give them any problem because your objective is to get home safely. Uh, but I also learned from him the ability to deal with all kinds of people because when dad's out there selling vegetables, He's just not going to sell them to African-Americans. He's going to sell them to whoever he can sell them to. So he, he went into neighborhoods that people didn't look like him. And we knocked on the door. And and I believe dad became their preferred produce producer. So so he learned how to, to delight customers. I learned that and moved it into the work environment. I still talk about it today about delighting customers. Um, because I believe that you can, you can uh, exceed a person's expectations. And they will prefer you. And when they prefer you, Dan, they don't prefer you because you're green, yellow, black, green, or whether they, they prefer you because you offer them a value mm -hmm. greater than someone else. And and I hate the, the term, I shouldn't use the word hate, but I detest the word about being privileged and all these other things because I believe my dad showed that he could go into an environment of people that didn't look like him 
on the outside, but they preferred his produce and the way he handled himself better than someone else. I don't care what color they were. So he, I carried all those kind of values into into the work environment, um, leaving that segregated um, community. And the Army, even though I fought it uh, going in, but it provided me the uh, environment where I could determine at 19 years of age that, that I could compete with others that went to different schools, even though we had a different background and they probably had a better education level than me. God showed me that I can com compete with them intellectually and others, and the Army showed me that in the first uh, eight months that I was in. So, so th those are the things I took from the farm, and and Dad's work ethic. Um, uh, Colossians three twenty three and twenty four that Dr. King talks about the uh, the street sweeper uh, concept. I saw my dad, uh, Dan, and he, I know your dad the same way. My dad would plow that mule. And dad wanted to plow that road just as straight as it could be. And I, it didn't make any difference whether it was crooked. What, what difference does it make? It was made a difference because of the um, of that Colossians 3, 23 and 24 passage that says they do all in, in glory to God. And so, so, so when dad was plowing that old mule, he wanted that road to be straight. And, uh, and he wasn't going to have it any other way. And if, and, if, and if he allowed you to plow it, that road better be straight. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, or else you were going to face the consequences when, when he came out there and found that road that was a little crooked. So you, you had no idea at the time, but watching him interact with, with different people and, and doing the things he did really kind of laid a groundwork for, yes. for your uh, yes. career in human resources, deal, yes, dealing yes. with people. Yes, dealing, dealing with people. I, I, I saw him. He had a uh, – dad was probably an introvert. My mom was an extrovert, extreme <laughs> – but, but, but dad was an introvert, but, um, but he, he, he knew how to communicate with people. And I watched him uh, be able to do that. Yes. It's kind of funny to hear you talk about your dad being an introvert, because I know you're not one and you're not married to one. You, you, yeah. you guys are a couple. We, 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 we both will tell you that we are. Hey, I, I Gary... don't, I don't think anybody else will tell you you are though. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I agree with you, but but I am. I, I, I give you I give you an example. I say that sometimes in in management circles, uh, they would have a reception at five thirty with dinner starting at six. There would be some people be there at five o'clock because they couldn't wait to interact. I'd get there unless I was the leader of the group. I'd get there ten minutes to six, so I I would only have ten minutes of reception, and then we'd sit down to dinner. That 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 that's an introvert. Now now that I understand. Uh, okay. Because I, I can be the same way in, in those type okay. of situations, but just in in your normal everyday interaction, uh, introvert is not a word that I would use to describe you. And I and I believe you, and I believe that you're right there when you do that assessment because I know that that God wants me to be like the Philip running the song along that chariot. So so He wants me to be um, initiate conversations about Him, and and you can't do that when you're waiting for someone else to initiate the conversation. So yes, I, I accept it. And based on that definition, Don Harper with us on this week's edition of the show, you, you went on and, and had just a phenomenal career. Uh, as we said, with Goodyear and, and human resources became a vice president, the, the grounding that you had, the way you grew up. And, and then I'm going to imagine that marrying Jerry also provided you with grounding for that portion of your life kind of kept you in balance all, mm -hmm. all these years, would that be accurate? Yes, I, I think so. Um, I started out as a production worker, um, just like plowing that mule in a little, little old um, um, factory in North Chicago. And and the first thing that someone recognized about me was the quality of my work. Uh, one of the foremen, the first week, the first week that I uh, had worked, uh, came to me and talked to me about the quality of work that I was doing. Um, even I only been there a week. And of course, they were assessing your ability to do uh, do work. So no matter how dirty the work is or whatever it is, just like the street sweeper concept, you ought to do it um, for the glory of God. So um, meeting Jerry, um, uh, I had some ideas. I didn't want to go to the service. Thought about even going to Canada, but Jerry Jerry wasn't in Canada. <laughs> and God 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 orders our steps and our stops. Um, and and when when I was fighting. Going into the military, God offered some of the best training and the ability to learn how to manage people. I came from the farm. I didn't know how to manage people. 
and God uh, provided that that aspect in the army. Just the place that God was was needing me to go to to prepare me for the next step, I was fighting it. So uh, so God provided that the army and uh, the experiences there, um, and then to meet Jerry in a in a in a church that my uh, my uncle and other people were in and. God, God had us to sit on the same uh, same bench, uh, a pew, uh, that Sunday that I went to church. Uh, and uh, when I first met her, <clears throat> I, I tell the story. I have no idea what the preacher preached about that day because I couldn't wait till he finished so I could meet that girl that was sitting two, uh, 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 two people down from me. And uh, the rest is history. We've been married for almost 56 years. But, but, I, but I've used all those skills, everything that I learned from my dad and things I observed from others, um, everyone that you meet, that's what I really get back to the mentoring part. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody that you meet has something that you could use. Uh, and and um, um, Bible stories, um, uh, there, there are people that make some very, we're going to learn about uh, David and some of the things that he messed up on in First Samuel. But, but then we want to look at the things that God uh, puts in, in our way, people. And we want to learn from them and to apply that to our lives. And, uh, and so I used every bit of skill that I've learned from from my dad and from others and in uh, navigating through starting out as a production worker and then uh, uh, taking the responsibility as a supervisor. And then uh, I didn't have my degree. So uh, finally, someone tapped me on the shoulder, a mentor, and said, uh, Don, you need to get your degree. Well, I don't think I need a degree, um, but but you, I needed that to stop them from using that as a way from not moving me up. Mm-hmm. So, so I went to night school, took me uh, seven years to finish night school, graduated as, as a 31 year old undergraduate. And, and with that, I, t- I told the kids at, uh, at Anderson university this past week that there's no way in the world that a, a young man that, uh, that grew up in the segregated South missed 25 days a year, uh, picking cotton, uh, never went to a full-time college, um, for a college full-time, never never stayed in a dorm room, uh, could end up being the chairman of the board or the board member of Anderson University or Malone University in Ohio. But I've served uh, 23 years as a, uh, a, a board member of two academic schools and has, has chaired eight of those years. And only God can get you in that kind of position with all of the obstacles that uh, – that should have stood in the way of me uh, getting to those, but God is the one that orders your steps if he wants you to get there. As we kind of head down the stretch here, I, I don't want to let this go any further without getting to the, the thing that stands out about you most to me, and that is your unwavering love and belief in Jesus Christ and the fact that you're going to tell people about that, mm-hmm. sometimes whether they want to hear it or not. You're going to tell people about that, but you always say that it started one Thursday morning. Yeah, one Thursday morning. Yes, I, <clears throat> this story in the book talks about the uh, the uh, spiritual conversion experience of a typical a typical African American growing up in the South that I grew up in. You just didn't go to church on a Sunday morning and decide, hearing the message, that you wanted to walk up front and give your life to Christ. You know? The, the 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 ritual or the legacy was that you would that there would be one week a year that the church that you belong to would dedicate to a revival uh, an evening revival which is hard for farmers to dedicate that many days a week to go to to a church but uh, they would dedicate five days and uh, they usually bring in it bring in a uh, an evangelist and that that people that person would preach fire brimstone all week <laughs> And, and the old uh, folk stories were that um, you didn't have religion until you had some kind of out of out of body experience. And I'll give you one definition that said that uh, you, you you're not saved until you can uh, until you have an experience where you like crawling across hell on a spider web and you can see the fire and people whatever. So did, did that happen to you? And if you didn't say that which means that you either lied about it or you actually saw it. Uh, um, so um, I went through that experience of a Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night. That never happened. My parents didn't tell me that, but you heard about it. 
And so uh, one Thursday morning, because there's only uh, two more days left, Thursday night and Friday night, and if you didn't come off, they call it coming off the mourner's bench. If you didn't come off the mourner's bench, that was just like uh, having a scarlet letter on you, that you just failed. I mean, there's something wrong with you. And and uh, Thursday morning, I'm out there working in the yard doing something, and my, 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 my mom must have saw that I was struggling with something. She came out in the yard, don't know where she came from. And, and next thing I know, she's asking me, well, what's wrong with you? And I said, well, I've been on the mortars bench for three nights and nothing has happened. And, and she, so that means she didn't agree with the stories that I had heard. She, she asked me the questions. Do you believe uh, in the Lord Jesus? Do you believe that he came into the world to save sinners? Do you believe that he's saving you? Yes. So I answered all those questions. And so we kind of fixed it in the yard with the chickens walking around and everything. <laughs> And then, but you had to make it official. You had to go that night on Thursday night, and I couldn't wait to get up there and wait till that preacher get through preaching. And when he extended the invitation, I jumped up and 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 passed the test for them uh, that that I had something special. Nobody ever asked me, "Did you crawl across hell on a spider web?" Didn't have to lie about that. But then the big problem is there was probably young men and young women scarred for life. Mm-hmm as a result of the fact that they didn't see that and they didn't, they didn't come off the mortgage bench, but then even worse, they lied about the fact of what they saw. And the, and the devil would probably use that forever that you don't have anything is because you lied about your experience in that. And, and I'm sure there are a lot of young men and young women that were scarred, but people were just passing on what they'd heard. They were just passing on what they heard. Not only did that work bad in, in race relations and other things, but it, it worked bad at that time. And, and, and getting experience. And I told you about the first time I joined Jerry's church and up in Waukegan. And, and at the end of service, there's, there's some kid running up there chewing gum. And, and I'm saying, hey, he, well, how in the world has he joined the church today? Yeah, well, because they don't have revivals, they open it up every Sunday to the invitation. And um, and then we talk about the thief on the cross. Uh, probably never even went to a church, um, but but he just asked Jesus to come into his life. And that that's the key thing. So Hopefully that's what you wanted me to express mm-hmm. about it. That's, that's why that's why you've laughed about ten times at me. And, <laughs> and what I had to, what, what, what we all had to go through, but all of my sisters and brothers had to go through it too. Yeah, yeah. just you know, you and your mom and Jesus and the chickens out there in the, yeah, yeah, the out chicken, there in front exactly yard. Right. It's yeah, exactly right. Yes, got, sir. You got to get right. those chickens in there. Got to get them in there. Yes, sir. Final question for you: When everything is said and done, how do you want people to remember Don Harper? <laughs> um. I wish they would talk about me in the regard like they talk about my dad. 56 years, um, a good name. It's rather to be desired, um, a good teacher, um, focused on the word, um, uh, walking the talk uh, as far as scripture is concerned. If they, if they talked about me being a uh, good teacher, excited about God's word, um, it, that, that, that would mean the most to me. And um, And if I'm able to, bring some people along to encourage them like I know you do now. We, we went out to dinner a Saturday night after we finished uh, Anderson University and and asked a guy, almost missed it, asked the guy, how can we pray for you? He, he, he squatted down between Jerry and me and told us the story of his wife struggling, uh, going, to, going to school every day and, and uh, being intimidated by fifth graders. <laughs> That on Sunday evening, she is wondering whether she should go to work on Monday. I mean, um, and he wanted us to pray about that. His name was Hoyt. And uh, I almost missed that because when he first came around to the table, it didn't work out. Juan Jerry said, you didn't ask him. Well, we waited to the end and he gave us that prayer request that we can we can uh, be able to share God's word. Um, I, want, I want to pass the seat test now. When I, when I get to heaven and God says, I set the guy beside you at the ball game or something, I, I don't want him saying you didn't say anything. So so I I want that to be my testimony about what God, what, what people say about me is that that Don Harper talked to me about Jesus. And, and that, that, that I, as far as I know, I knew he wasn't perfect, but but based on the things I know about him, he tried to live that life that he talked about. So that that's what I'd like for people to be able to say about me. I love asking that question to people, especially people like Don, who have a number of years of perspective they can draw from. You recall going back two weeks, I asked the same question to Doug Flynn. You know, how do you want to be remembered? And and Doug said, just as somebody who loved and followed Jesus. And I think that's really all 
that we can ask for in this life. Everything else is going to fade away. It's all going to crumble. How are people going to remember you? And, and that's my prayer, that they remember me that way. I've got a lot of work to do, but I'm going to keep working at it. Don Harper, just an incredible, incredible man, wonderful mentor to me. And uh, I thought it was very appropriate. If we're going to repeat a show for the first time inside the first 26 weeks, that would be the one. We'll come back and uh, get you ready to wrap things up right after this. Is there someone in your life who has been a spiritual mentor? An influence so great that you'd love to find a way to honor them? For a gift of $200 or more to Grand Slam Ministries, you can dedicate a segment of the Dan Scott Show to that very special person. Honor someone who is currently in your life or remember the legacy of a loved one who has passed. Make your gift online at grandslamministries.org and we will send you an information form which will allow you to tell us all about this special person, how and why they were a spiritual influence, their favorite Bible verses, and anything else that you would like to share. In doing so, you'll be covering our cost of one week's production, helping ensure the Dan Scott Show stays on air and continues to share stories of loved ones like yours. In addition, you'll get your own copy of the program in which your loved one's story airs, either by MP3 or CD. Help the legacy of your spiritual mentor reach others with your gift of $200 or more today. Do so online at grandslamministries.org. That's grandslamministries.org. Follow us on social media. Search Grand Slam Ministries on Facebook and Grand Slam for God on Twitter. And don't forget Dan's personal and public figure sites on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You're listening to The Dan Scott Show, presented by Grand Slam Ministries. Just a couple of minutes left before we have to say goodbye on this 26th episode of The Dan Scott Show. Hope you enjoyed Hearing again for some of you, but I'm guessing for most of you for the first time, my interview with Don Harper from uh, back in February in the early days of the show. We have gained quite a few affiliates since then. We're up to a total of 13 now, and thank you to each and every one of you. As God has opened more doors, I, I try not to personally go full bore about talking about money. I will mention it. Uh, on occasion because it, it takes finances to do what we're doing to get this ministry up and running to get our core missions going that we, we hope to get them funded and operating next year and I've mentioned before if we could get 200 people giving $25 a month and another 200 giving $10 a month we would be off and running and be able to do everything we want to do radio wise and begin to fund those core missions of mentorship and helping children. You can make that donation at danscottshow.org or grandslamministries.org. There's a donation button there. It's very easy and simple. Our partner Zephy will get you right through it, automatically generates a tax receipt, and we would ask you to prayerfully consider doing that. But as a friend reminded me this week, it's, there's also probably one or two people out there who could make a significant impact financially on what we are doing here and uh, God is going to lead us to that person so if, if you've been thinking about a way that you could help us or you've been looking for someone to help prayerfully consider the Dan Scott show and Grand Slam Ministries as perhaps the beneficiary of a gift because we could definitely use it and I can promise you it will go towards doing God's work um, we have uh, a lot of plans, and we're looking forward to God opening the door to getting those plans off the ground in His timing and not mine, and that's the most important thing. DanScottShow.org. Find out all the info there. We will see you again next week. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Dan. God bless you. So long, everybody. Mm-hmm.